Hi everyone, my name's Rob. I'm one of the pastors at Lake Mac Church and, and I'll get to give you the sermon a, a little bit later on. But before I do, I, I thought since this is our first week looking through the book of John, uh, it'd be a really good thing to spend a few minutes thinking about why I reckon such a, why, why I reckon it, it's such a great book for us to be looking at through this particular season. Uh, like the graphic up there says, uh, this book will show us a light that shines in the darkness, which is a pretty important thing at the moment. As we all try to navigate how to get through this really tough time, uh, to, find the, the, to find the light in this darkness, it's good for us to recognise that the way the world tells us to do that, most of the time, is pretty different to what the Bible says. See, I reckon one of the places where I've really noticed this world's way of thinking is at the gym. Uh, now, you might look at me and think, do you actually go to the gym? Uh, but despite how things look, uh, I do quite enjoy going. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I like bad food about as much as I like going to the gym, and so you don't really notice the effect. Um, but pre-corona, I used to spend a, a fair bit of time at the gym. Uh, I do love to exercise. Uh, and one of the things that I've noticed uh, as I've gone, something that's becoming more and more common there, is a change in people in the way that they perceive how they're doing well in life or how to go about doing well in life. Uh, in the old days, it used to be just you know, showing up, working hard, uh, developing good technique, and if you were doing those things, you were doing well. But lately, there's more and more emphasis being placed on not just doing the exercise, but believing you can do it. Uh, it seems like every other exercise outfit I see has a slogan on it that goes something like this. Dream, believe, achieve. Um, now, maybe seeing that stuff makes your eyes roll. Maybe you want to puke a little bit. Uh, maybe it just pumps you up and gets you excited to go. Um, but I reckon, wherever you, wherever you perceive it, uh, that kind of thinking has influenced most of us to some extent. So the thinking is that with the right mindset, with the right amount of positive thought, uh, with enough belief in yourself, you can shape your destiny to be whatever you want it to be. With that thinking, nothing is out of reach so long as your belief in yourself is strong enough. Check out this video. Uh, it comes from a Lorna Jane commercial uh, from a little while back and notice where they find their belief, where they find their light in the darkness. Where's the light? What does it say you should put your belief in? Me, myself. Look inwards. My belief is in me. And this kind of thinking isn't just limited to the world of exercise. I hear it all the time, uh, in all different parts of life. The notion that we have the power to change our world. That with just enough belief, you can have the job or the family or the possessions that you've always dreamed of. Uh, have a look at this chart. Uh, it comes from a website called Google Ngram. Uh, and I reckon it demonstrates this inward shift in thinking towards self. Um, now... Google Ngram is a website that looks through most books that have been published in uh, the last hundred or so years. And it looks particularly at how frequently different words come up. Uh, and so you can punch in a search, uh, a particular word, and it will tell you how often it comes up through those books. Uh, and the one I put up in this graph uh, is the term self-worth. Uh, now you could search all sorts of self-related terms, um, 
And in each of them, you see this trend, this upward trend in self. Uh, we value ourselves. Uh, the, the emphasis we put on ourselves on, on looking inwardly has just skyrocketed over the last few years. That our belief in self has gone through the roof. Uh, Curse My Wife was saying just the other day that someone had told her that if we all just started thinking positively, we'd be able to get rid of the coronavirus. Uh, now, they weren't saying if we think positive, we'd be able to do well despite the coronavirus. They actually said that this was what they meant, that with positive thoughts, it would go away. We could do away with it entirely. Uh, and in that example, you can see the problem, can't you? You see, regardless of how much we want it, no matter how strong our belief is, not everything is possible simply by looking inward and simply by thinking positively. And you can see where all this inward looking gets us, can't you? We end up disappointed. Because there's a reality, isn't there? However much we believe in ourselves and the power of positive thought, there's some problems it just won't fix. The, the coronavirus being an obvious example. See, the reality is that though we have some measure of control in our lives, we are not in control. And belief that we can have whatever destiny we want, it just won't bring it to us. And so we need to be careful to avoid the trap that the world tries to con us with, that we, we need to look inwardly for the answers to life. I think that we generally know that, but at the same time, the temptation to look inwardly is a strong one. As humans, we're wired to be selfish. Uh, and the world keeps telling us that it's okay. In fact, that we should be self-focused. Uh, and it's a dangerous temptation for us. But John instead gives us the reality. That each one of us is trapped in darkness. And, and finding the true light is the only way out for us. And by following that light, we'll receive life. Life, as John tells us in John 10, that is life to the full. In fact, that's the very reason he wrote the book. He tells us that, uh, that near the end of chapter 20, and this is what he writes, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel with a purpose. He didn't write down everything Jesus did. Uh, he wrote down specific things to share a specific message. Uh, and he had a goal in mind. The goal being that you would believe. And through that belief that you would have life, life to the full. And so Lorna Jane was close, wasn't she? Belief really is the answer. It's just that she got the object wrong. The belief we need isn't self it's about a belief in something bigger, someone bigger, someone more deserving, someone who, unlike us, does have the power to change our destiny. The belief we need is one in Jesus. He's, of course, the focus of the book of John, of this gospel. As we make our way through, we'll find light and life. Water, that means we'll never thirst again. Bread, that will stop our hunger we'll find spiritual satisfaction. 
And I think even for those of us who've been Christians for a while, it's easy to get distracted by this voice that comes from the world, the voice that keeps telling us to look inwardly rather than to the light. But we need to be like moths. Uh, We need to fly towards it. We need to keep chasing the light of the world. We need to chase Jesus. So get excited. That's what we're doing as we get stuck into this book of John. We'll we'll look at the very first passage soon, and in it we're going to see this picture of the light who has come to save the world. Well, those of you who know me know that I absolutely love movies. Uh, And so I get excited to find out what the next big blockbuster is going to be. I regularly read up on movie news. I browse the web checking it out. Uh, And now that we've got kids uh, and we don't often get to go to the movies, I spend a whole lot of that time contemplating which is going to be that extra special movie that we'll actually organise a babysitter for so we can go out and watch it in the cinema. And a big part of that contemplation for me, at least, is checking out the previews. See, the previews are what help me to know whether the movie will be worth it or not. A good preview will show you what kind of a movie it will be. It will give you a taste of the kind of things you can expect. Is it a drama? Is it an action? How will it play out? Will there be suspense? And it does it in a way that hopefully doesn't give too much away. If they're done really well... Uh, In that couple of minutes, they'll capture the heart of the movie. And so you'll be excited to see more. Well, these opening verses of John are very much the preview for the book. Within these few verses, John manages to capture the heart of what we can see playing out through the whole book. He doesn't give all the details, but he shows us where we're going. I reckon it's it's masterful. See, the more you dig into the, the... ideas that that John raises here, the more you'll recognize them as they come up later. And this first part, he captures three big ideas, three things that the Gospel of John will show us about Jesus. Uh, And those three things are these. Firstly, who Jesus is. Secondly, why he came. And thirdly, why it matters. And at that last one, we'll particularly uh, think about why it matters for us here and now as we seek to follow Jesus. So let's get stuck into that first point. Let's uh, see what John tells us. Uh, And coming out of the gate, he he comes out running. Uh, In the other Gospels, we get this kind of slow build-up to who Jesus is. In those Gospels, we we hear these stories of what he's done. We we see who he is unfold. Uh, And so as the disciples discover how significant Jesus is, we do too. But here in John... There's no slow unfurling. Uh, He hits us with the big one right out of the gate. Have a look with me uh, at verses 1 to 3. This is what they say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word that we read about there. Uh, we find out down in verse 14 is actually Jesus. It's a way of describing him. And these opening verses in John come straight out and tell us that Jesus is none other than God himself. The opening words, you you might have noticed, they're familiar. They're words we've heard before because they're the same 
uh, words that, that kick off Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, the same three words, in the beginning. So the story John is telling isn't just one sp- about one specific moment in history. It's the big story that's, that's a culmination of all of history, all that's been happening since the very beginning. We find out that before the world, before time even started, Jesus was there. Jesus was with God, and more than that, Jesus was God. This is huge. Wrapped up in this first verse is a good part of the notion that we understand as the Trinity. And it's worth us stopping for a moment to explore it a little bit more because it's something that we tend to struggle with. It's an idea that we we struggle to get our heads around. And it's important that we understand this claim that John is making, that Jesus himself is and always has been God. Now, the word Trinity isn't one we find in the Bible. It's one that people came up with to describe the nature of God. And they did that because ever since Jesus, there's been people who've tried to deny that he's God. There still are today, in fact, locally, we've got the JWs, we've got the Christadelphians, both of which say Jesus isn't God. And so early on, people tried to describe the nature of God. that They wanted to get this right. Uh, the nature of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The, the word Trinity was the one they used to try and capture it. When it comes to the Trinity, um, there's lots to talk about. It, it's a big concept. And, and even when you have talked about all of it, it's still mind-blowing. It's one of those things where there's just nothing like it. So it's too hard for us to entirely wrap our heads around it. I've got a degree in theology, and I understand the realities of the Trinity, but that doesn't mean it's something that... that doesn't make my head want to just explode. In simple terms, the Trinity holds up these three important foundational truths about God. They are that there is only one God, there are three divine persons, and the persons are co-equal and co-eternal. Now, if you're like me and you find that mind-blowing, that's okay, because it is. It's hard because there is nothing like God. One, yet three. We don't have anything in the world that is like him, and so it doesn't seem to make sense. But let's face it. If God was someone who could enti- we could entirely wrap our heads around, he wouldn't be much of a God. But here, in John 1, 1, we get one piece of the Trinity puzzle. The Word, or Jesus, was there in the be- beginning, before creation, and he was with God. And the Greek there implies that he was not just there next to him, but that he was there relationally with God. But not only was he there with God, he was God. Now that's not to say uh, that he was God and, and now he isn't. He never stopped being God. It's just pointing out that at the beginning of time, before the world had been made, Jesus was there and he was God. Jesus was there in the beginning. Those same words from the creation story in Genesis. And Jesus, who was the Word, who created the world, all things were made through him. Now that's, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? And that's why we see what we do in verses 4 and 5. Have a, have a look with me. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Of course, in him was light and life. It makes sense, doesn't it? He created light. He created all of life. Uh, those are two of the things, two of the ideas that we're going to see, like in the movie trailer, unfold as we get into the book. Uh, we'll see in chapter 3 that life we find in Jesus is eternal life. Uh, and in chapter 10, we'll find out that it's life to the full. We'll see the idea of light come up over and over again. In chapter 10, we read that Jesus is the light of the world and, and that he can heal our spiritual blindness. A light that the darkness cannot overcome. This isn't a fair fight. Light wins and always will. And all of this is possible because of who Jesus is, because he is God. One of the wonderful things about understanding that Jesus is God is that we never have to wonder what God is like. People get all sorts of notions about God, don't they? You, you hear people talk about God by starting with the line, I like to think of God as dot, dot, dot. They, they fill in the blank. But Jesus means we never have to speculate what God is like because we have the answer in Jesus. I think that's why there's so many people who are happy to say they believe in God, but then they stumble at the idea of Jesus. See, if Jesus is God, and that's exactly what the Bible claims, then that means we know what God is like. And people don't like it because they can't just say, I like to think of God as, and insert their own ideas. Because we have Jesus' words to know what God thinks. We have his actions to, to show what's important to him. What's even more mind-blowing is to realize why Jesus came. Uh, we'll skip ahead to verse 9. Uh, have, have a read with me. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The one who made the world came into the world. And now that in itself is pretty astounding. Jesus is God, the creator of the universe. And he decided to become a man. He humbled himself to take on human form. Think about what that means. He became a baby. He took on human weakness. He became hungry and tired. He suffered pain, even the pain of death. That is huge. That would be like you or I deciding to become an ant, to experience life in the limitation of an ant's body, to go through life as an ant does. But the idea of us becoming an ant, it doesn't even begin to capture what it must have been like for Jesus to experience life as a human, for God to become man. So why did he do it? Why go through all of that? When we look at mythology, we see stories of gods like Zeus coming to earth to experience the pleasures earth had to offer. And I guess those stories exist because people find it hard to imagine any other reason why God would want to come to earth. But here we see Jesus didn't come to earth for his own gain. There's nothing in it for him. He didn't go through all the difficulty of humanity as an experiment. Rather, he came for the sake of those people that he created. He was the true light coming into the world. We see in verse 12 that for those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice what a big deal that is. 
It's not that Jesus just tolerates us and, and so accepts us into his kingdom. He doesn't take pleasure in ordering us around and, and making our lives miserable. He came to bring us into his family, to welcome us as brothers and sisters, co-heirs in God's kingdom. You might remember the, these verses that I'm about to read from a few weeks ago in our Galatians series. Uh, li listen to what they, they say. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I said before that we know what God is like because we can look at Jesus and see. This tells us that God is not vindictive and cruel, as some people imagine. He's not distant or careless. Rather, he's a relational God, a God who cares deeply for his people, who cares enough to go through the difficulty of humanity, right through to the pain and torment of the cross for the sake of his creation. We started off thinking about where people find their value and worth. And we saw this trend that has come into the world to look within. And we recognize that it doesn't always work. In fact, most of the time it fails. But here we find that each of us is inherently valuable. Not because we will it or deserve it. Not because of positive energy. Not because we believe in ourselves. But because we are valuable to the one who created us. Our worth is found not by looking inward, but by looking upward. Looking to the God who formed us. The same God who humbled himself to human form for the sake of rescuing us from darkness. doesn't matter how you look, how fit you are, what job you have, or, or whatever else is on your list of achievements. You're valuable regardless of all those things. You're valuable because God, the one who made you, values you. There's a reason that this is how John launches his gospel. He comes straight out the gate with this big news because this is the news that matters. Understanding who Jesus is is about as important as it gets. And so that's our third point, uh, that it matters. I reckon one of the, the really fantastic TV shows that someone has come up with uh, over the years is one called Undercover Boss. I, I don't know if you've seen it or, or heard of it before. But the premise is that they get the big boss of, of, a, of a, a big company, usually multi-million dollar kind of thing, something like a 7-Eleven or, or a Subway. Uh, they dress them up in a disguise and they get them to work in an entry-level position, cleaning floors or, or making sandwiches or something like it. And the interesting thing is seeing the way that the other workers relate to the boss, presuming they're just some hopeless middle-aged guy desperate for work. So often you see them talking rudely to them or, or giving them impossible jobs or, or just generally giving them a hard time. But the moment comes later in the show when the boss is revealed and the people who had given him a hard time realise that he had the power over their career. And all of a sudden you see them sitting up straighter, speaking more politely, sucking up to this boss. Their attitude changes completely, recognising the reality of who that person is, makes them recognize 
how they've responded to him, to that person matters. This passage in John is the big reveal of who Jesus is too. It shows us the reality that Jesus is God and makes clear how we are to respond to him and makes clear that it matters. In the passage, there's only really two ways you can go. Either you recognize him and receive him or you don't. There's nothing in the middle. There's no middle ground. John paints it in terms of darkness and light. Either you are in the darkness or you're in the light. And the only one who brings light to the world is Jesus. That's why John wrote this book. We saw it earlier. So that we can see that reality. So that we can understand the depth of what it means to be in the light. To have life and have it to the full. And it's going to be a fantastic ride as we make our way through John and we see this unfold. But to finish off this week, I want to give us things to grab hold of from this passage here and now. Three things that should shape us as we read this passage. One, we need to be awestruck. Two, we need to recognize and receive. And three, we need to witness. See, familiarity, it can stop us from recognizing something amazing. Uh, Back when I used to work for Crusaders, my job was most days to go out sailing. I'd come from an office job. I sat at a desk most days. Uh, And for the first little while after I changed, you just couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I just couldn't believe how great it was to be out on the lake as my job. Uh, But after some time, uh, I stopped being so amazed. I stopped being so thrilled with my work that excitement that i first had that joy of a job where i was sailing every day stopped being exciting and just became normal i didn't realize how lucky i was because of familiarity so i reckon we can do the same thing when it comes to jesus jesus is god the creator of the whole universe he made the world everything in it and then he chose you for your sake and mine, to humble himself, to live life on earth, to go through humanity and its hardships so that we could be adopted into his family. That is an astounding truth. We've heard it a thousand times, but, but don't ever let it become ordinary. It's an astounding truth, a, a truth that should daily blow our minds. A truth that should give immense value to your life because you know you're loved. You know that you're loved by God who made you and you know the extent he was willing to go for you. And so I want to encourage you, hold on to that truth. Be blown away by it daily. Be in awe. Secondly, we need to both recognize and receive Jesus. Now, knowing what we've just seen the the awe of who he is it should be a no-brainer shouldn't it as we reflect on what he's done it, it should come naturally but that's not the reality is it see the reality is that most of the world chooses to remain in darkness they choose to ignore their creator verse 10 and 11 said he was in the world and though the world was made through him it didn't recognize him He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The light has come, but many choose to remain in darkness. But I want to push you, I want to push us a a bit further than simply saying that we believe in him. 
over the course of this book, John will spell out what it means to believe in Jesus, what receiving him really looks like. And we can see already that it's got, it's got to be more than just acknowledging him. It can't just be to say, yep, he's God, uh, and now I'm just going to get on with my life in my own way. Jesus being God has to entirely shape us. When we receive him, it means receiving him in his entirety. It means receiving him not just as the one who saves us, but also as the one who leads us. If he's got the light, if he is the light, then you've got to let him lead the way. That's no small thing. That, that will impact every part of your life. And, and that's what it means to receive Jesus. We need to keep asking ourselves whether we've done that. Whether Jesus is not just our saviour, but our leader as well. The light that shows us where to go. Lastly, we need to witness. In this passage, we see mentioned one particular witness, a bloke named John the Baptist. Uh, now, he's not the same John that's writing this gospel. Uh, we're going to find out all about John the Baptist in a couple of weeks. But for now, ha- have a look at the verses that mention him in today's passage. Uh, we skipped over them before, but we'll, we'll look at them now. Verses 6 to 8. They say, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now you can't read this passage and be confused into thinking that the main character is anyone but Jesus. But here we get a look at this witness named John. John is given the job of preparing the way for Jesus. Like a herald, he announces the coming of the king. He proclaims the light so that all might believe. God, in his grace, allows people to be part of his plan. And we know that at the other end of the gospel, when Jesus heads back to heaven, he passes the job of witnessing over over to others. Uh, So we read in the book of Acts, right at the beginning, 1.8, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples become the next lot of witnesses, and as they make disciples, the job keeps passing on. And so now all of us who have received Jesus have also become his witnesses. We have the job of proclaiming the light. Uh, And I don't know about you, but I reckon... This point in history feels pretty dark. This is a time when the people of the world uh, will struggle. The world is telling them to look inwardly, to believe in themselves to get through what's happening. Uh, And we know that that will fail. It will fail because there's only one light of the world, and that light is Jesus. And so it's our job to proclaim him. And it's not a bad job, is it? We're not announcing plague or famine. We're announcing salvation. We're sharing hope. The story of a God who loves us enough to become a man and rescue us. I don't think we can share that news loudly enough. And so I want to urge you to make that the loudest thing you say in the midst of this dark time. To to proclaim that hope to this dark world that, that so, so needs it. I'm going to pray that we could do that this week and every week after it. How you join with me. Lord, we are are just so thankful uh, for who you are. 
Uh, we're so thankful for Jesus, who is God. We're so thankful for his willingness to come, to humble himself, the one who spun stars into space, becoming a man, walking the earth, experiencing what we did, what we do, uh, going through pain and suffering all for us, all to, to win us the right to become your children. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't take that lightly, that we would be awestruck by it daily. And Lord, in that awe, uh, help us to make sure that we are being led by Jesus, that he is the light that we follow. And more than that, Lord, we pray that we would be his witnesses, uh, that we would proclaim him as king, as the light of the world, that we would share that great truth with anyone who will listen. We pray all that in Jesus' incredible name. Amen.